Welcome. Welcome back, everybody, to uh, another episode of Energy Bites here with uh, Brad Dad, me, John Calfan. Got, uh, before we get into anything, I just want everybody to uh, stop real quick. Go give us a, a review. Hopefully it's five stars, but give us some feedback. Tell us, tell us what you like, what you don't like, what you want to hear. Um, also, please, you know, subscribe and share um, with us so we can keep keep going and get some more, uh, more guests and stuff. So, um, here today again with my, uh, trusty co-host Bobby Nealon. How's it going? How's it going, Bobby? Doing well. Excited. Uh, we got, uh, Ugor Kuvayev with, with, uh, Rogi. 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 Um, and, uh, no, this is fun for me cause I've, I think first time I've, other than John, got a former, uh, coworker <laughs> on the podcast. Igor and I used to work on the Eagleford, uh, Eagleford development team and, uh, at ConocoPhillips. So uh, excited to have him on and, um, you know, kind of hear his story because all I knew was he went from Conoco and all of a sudden, boom, he's, you know, CTO of, of Roji and uh, you definitely want to unpack that story and how, how he got here. So welcome. Thank you. Thanks for inviting. Looking forward to this conversation. Yeah. Thanks for coming. But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, again, I gave a little bit of intro, but definitely not, not enough. Um, you you want to just kind of tell us about yourself, you know, your background, where you're from, how you got into oil and gas and all, the, you know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so uh, my background, I'm, I'm a geologist. So I graduated as a geologist. I've been working as a geophysicist slash geologist my entire career. And uh, pretty much my career can be split into like two major parts. First one working for ConocoPhillips in various different locations uh, as a geologist, of course. And uh, um, one of those locations was obviously United States here in Texas. So uh, as Bobby said, uh, I was working on, on Eagle Fork Play when it was just starting, you know, doing a bunch of experiments there, drilling those uh, first horizontal wells, you know, uh, checking what kind of production is there, you know, and doing, you know, a lot of interesting stuff. And then I, uh, uh, with uh, my co-founder, we were working actually together in ConocoPhillips. So we quickly realized that uh, there is a, amazing opportunity for uh, further uh, uh, gesture improvement because back then the technologies were not developed, let's put it this way. Uh, so we uh, quit Konica and uh, founded our own uh, startup, software startup. Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's kind of make it into that. I mean, you're talking about like the, that the technology wasn't developed. I'm trying to think like we had the operations geologists right at Conoco and like they had to be in the office right and they had to be on the like these they call them the Linux blades right mm -hmm. I mean so what, kind of what was it like then and then you know what, what opportunity did you see and how did you kind of pivot like was there new technology available that they weren't that wasn't being utilized before or? before you answer that real quick just for the more tech focused people that may not know as much about the energy space yeah just give a quick kind of overview background of what a geologist does at an operator yeah. and, like, and maybe get into what geosteering is yeah 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 kind of go from mm -hmm. geology like what the geologists typically mm -hmm. do where they're involved and then how that ties into geosteering mm -hmm. specifically yeah yeah absolutely so uh i think uh speaking about geology uh i will be specifically focusing on geology of unconventional place because this is what we do the most right. and it's substantially different from what geologist is doing for a conventional place right and uh, for those who are not generally familiar, unconventional is what is being developed in the United States the most because all the conventional plays, like old, old school plays, they've been developed. So the oil has been produced. So we switched on conventional development. And uh, this is what we do. So as a geologist, basically what you do in uh, unconventional space 
you uh, plan wells, so you identify where uh, the wells are going to be drilled, and those wells are always horizontal, with very minor exceptions, but let's say, you know, always horizontal wells. So you plan those wells, you plan where the wells are going to be drilled, like on the map view, where you're going to be placed those wells, where those wells will be placed uh, in the reservoir, because the reservoir is, you know, fairly thick formation, you know, from maybe... You know, 50 feet to you know, 1,000 feet, so you need to know specifically where the well is going to be drilled, where the well is going to be placed. And then, as the well is being drilled, you as a geologist, uh, so this is actually what uh, we do the most, you as a geologist, you control how exactly the well is placed, so you are in a constant communication with uh, drillers, direction drillers, drilling engineers, to make sure the well is actually being drilled where it needs to be drilled. Yeah, now I think that's a mm -hmm. a very good explanation, and I think a lot of people, like I said, just don't understand. Right, uh, it's one of, to me one of the like engineering marvels that is so kind of hidden in the energy space is the fact that we can start with you know a hole, whatever the conductor casing is, uh, you know, thirty, twenty, thirty inches around at surface, and end up two miles down and three miles away from that one spot with a pretty tight degree of uh, error, so to speak. Um, you know, it, it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, and, and we just opinion. take for granted out. We, mm -hmm. we really do, right? Like, and, you know, drilling is not easy by any means vertically, <laughs> no less turning out and going, you know, horizontally and stuff. So I just wanted to highlight that because I don't think a lot of people really appreciate how, you know, you're landing a five inch drill bit within, you know, thousand within a few feet of where your plan or design was. Yeah. And so I mean, and Roji's a great intersection of yep. like that physical technology along with now just you know, integrating with, you know, great software. So, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think uh, what, uh, what is also important to understand that because we are, we're dealing with subsurface, uh, it's, uh, we're very limited with the amount of data we receive, right? Because radio signal doesn't work over there. Uh, there is no GPS. The, there are like literally nothing is available to us. Uh, the data transmission rate between our downhole tools, it's, you know, one bit per second, not one byte, one bit per second, right? Wow. So we, we literally need to make uh, multi-million dollar decisions based on absolute, you know, absence yeah. of information. We, yep. we don't have much. Uh, so... Uh, uh, and, uh, we, we can talk about how it started, what, what's going on right now, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a super, super exciting field where, where you need to react quickly based on nothing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, maybe like just in general, not even like say from mm -hmm. Conoco standpoint, but just like, what did geosteering look like when you started say yeah. in the unconventionals and mm -hmm. then how has it progressed? And I mean, now, I mean, you guys pretty much own you know, most mm -hmm. of the market share as far as I understand, you know, as far as geosteering in North America, a lot mm -hmm. of it, I mean, like. So how is it, how has that technology kind of transformed over mm -hmm. the last 10, 15 years? And mm -hmm. yeah, just, you know, what did you guys do that just accelerated it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we, um, uh, I mean, back, back then before, before we started, uh, uh, the GSTR was quite, I would say quite an interesting science and it wasn't actually even, I would say formed or created as a science. Everybody was doing their own thing. Right. Uh, if you go to a conventional play, uh, the geosteering would be some, uh, uh, I would say, uh, pretty much dependent, like field dependent. Each operator, even each uh, uh, oil field would do their own thing. Yeah. And it would not be necessarily, you know, 
clear the way they do that. I started drilling my first horizontal wells back, uh, you know, in 2000, maybe before 2010. And it was always a very unclear procedure and it was on conventional fields. Now, when I moved to the United States, I saw the, the big and dramatic difference between pretty much United States and all other countries is uh, amount of downhole tools uh, uh, United States operator use. It's, it's literally nothing. It's gamma ray only, which is the simplest and cheapest right. downhole tool you can find. And um, what shocked me here is that those uh, like $10 million decisions, I mean, back then it really was expensive, yeah. uh, is, 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 uh, is made based on that uh, cheapest downhole tool and Excel spreadsheet. Right. So that that how it was. I mean, yes, back then we as geologists, we had some software, but those software were not far away from just, you know, doing basic, uh, you know, math calculations uh, in, in Excel. And uh, this is what, uh, you know, totally shocked me and, and my co-founder were like, no way. I mean, it, it must be a better way. It must be, you know, a better way to make it. Uh, easier and uh, reduce amount of errors and a bunch of errors were done because uh, people were not taking into account all available data, not necessarily real-time data, but the data that was available to the geologist at the time of the drilling. Right. Uh, and those errors could not could not be made. I mean, we could we could do something. We could do much much better. And uh, yeah, so then uh, we uh, we started the company. Uh, our main idea, I would say, our first approach to the uh, to gesturers to geologists was hey we should be able to uh, integrate all available data uh, and by doing that uh, drill better wells and of course you know yeah. sw switch you from you know excel based uh, software to something that you know an average person can use and enjoy yeah so those two components maybe the second one more than the first one yeah. was uh, uh, something that picked up you know very very quickly i mean very quickly we Pretty much to cover the market. What yeah. uh, what additional data were y'all kind of adding? Is that just like pilot test well logs and you know kind of being able to interpolate between different mm -hmm. actual uh, data points or seismic or is it kind of all of the above? Mm -hmm. So uh, as far as uh, geoscience data, before you drill or when you drill, you actually have a bunch of data available. So right. yeah, those could be uh, nearby pilot holes and. Uh, uh, I would say 100% of unconventional plays, they uh, happen somewhere next to the existing right. conventional field, so they're very heavily drilled. So actually, we do know a lot right. about, of, about geology already, Sorry. right? So we have a lot of that information. And we, uh, so we have those pilot holes, we have structure maps, we have uh, seismic data, we have um, mm, nearby drilled horizontal wells. And uh, the more we drill, the more information right. we get. So the more data we can integrate. So uh, that was uh, uh, the first uh, uh, kind of idea that we brought to the market that was very well received. Now, uh, going forward, uh, uh, we definitely should and we already can integrate some uh, real-time drilling data, right? Because we have much more drilling data in real-time versus the downhole uh, gamma ray data. Right. So that data can also be integrated. But the first, like the core, I would say the core uh, thing that really transformed the industry and I would even say uh, moved gesturing uh, from like strange Excel spreadsheet into a real science, real job was that, you know, massive geoscience data integration. Yeah. And what I mean, there's, I think that's been one of the kind of lowest hanging fruits in the oil field across mm -hmm. the, the 
the operation is just we have all this data right but it's siloed it's in different software is it there hasn't been a lot of at least until the last five ten years right hasn't been a lot of effort it seems like in the energy space to try and you know it's like we capture all this stuff but then using it is much more difficult uh and that's why in my opinion we've seen all this kind of energy tech boom over the last 10 15 years in the in the space because there is all this opportunity especially Mm -hmm. from that's what i love about it is you've got people that you know you were a geologist at an operator and you saw that hey we have all this stuff but there's no solution to do it how it would make the most sense and so you go and start your company and Mm -hmm. you guys are kind of the the dominant player in the space it's 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 awesome i love i love that and I would I would even add uh, uh, using it in real time. Yeah. It's it's yeah. another level of complexity because technically even before us, I mean, can you take a look at your structure map on Seismic? Yes, you can. You know, as soon as yeah. you are in the office, you can take a look at it. But the rig doesn't care. You know, right. the rig. You know, okay. S- some companies are out there. They not in US, but I've seen those. Like, oh yeah, let's stop the drilling for the night and figure it out in the morning. Right. Uh, no, no, it, it's not, Time it's not, money. I mean, uh, you know, rig to rig is what, seven days right now, or, mm-hmm. you know, 10 days, yeah. uh, you, you cannot do that, right? The rig has to drill. So you need to have access to all of that data in real time by yourself. You don't have a luxury of, you know, right. stopping by and scheduling a meeting with your, you know, geophysicists, uh, you yeah. know, daytime. Take a week, uh, figure yeah, it yeah. out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's a, another big kind of logistical like to me the oil field is so difficult because it is this giant logistics game right Mm -hmm. everything costs money everything is tied to this (laughs) ever-changing commodity price ultimately and so you know yeah they're much we could do these things much easier and potentially better if we had more time but then you've got the cost perspective of that right and so it's it's always this delicate kind of balance of of time versus money but do y'all let, let's get into kind of y'all's kind of tech stack and mm-hmm. and that sort of thing kind of how is that because y'all are i assume cloud-based in some aspects um but y'all also have hardware on site like a, any kind of edge devices yet or is that kind of more future kind of what's what's your current kind of stack look like without mm-hmm. you don't have to give who or if you don't want to but um just what does that kind of look like so at the moment, uh, a majority of uh, uh, of things we're doing is software-based. We have uh, edge devices as well. I can talk about it a bit later, but it's it's a cloud-based solution that is uh, hosted on Amazon. Uh, and uh, I would say two-thirds, maybe three-quarters already of our North American customers, they're all on cloud, so they store uh, all of their well-data um, uh, all of their geoscience data on our cloud. In fact, at the moment, we've got roughly 1 million wells uh, stored on our cloud. Uh, wow. And I would say on average, 20,000 wells are being added every month by the operators. It's not we, it's the operators. It's it's their own secured cloud. So mm-hmm. uh, uh, they store the data and uh, they uh, access this data either in real time or later on for analytical purposes, whatever they want to do with the data. Um, now, uh, we... Even though, you know, even though we're cloud-based, there is always, you know, a front-end part, right? Mm-hmm. You know, because this is what, you know, this is the most important to the right. users, you know, what, what's your front-end. And uh, for the front-end, we have a, a desktop application that is uh, connected, seamlessly connected to the cloud uh, uh, and uh, allows users to basically manipulate uh, the data on the cloud, which is our star steer, the JSteering mm-hmm. software. 
And we also have a bunch of uh, uh, web-based applications for monitoring. So those ones are typically used uh, yeah, either just by geologists. In fact, we have like iPhone, Android yeah. apps, so they can just quickly see what's going on on the rig. Or uh, they are used by direction drillers or even company men. So at the rig side, they can actually see you know, what, what's, what's going, going on. on. Yeah. So this is actually the main, uh, one of the main advantages of the cloud. Uh, it's uh, kind of enabling these true real-time right. operations. Uh, this is something you cannot do without the cloud. Yeah. It, it has single to source. To yes, to, yes. Right? It has to be on the cloud. It has to be uh, updated in real-time. That, that's absolutely important for the modern drilling. Um, we do have uh, a piece for the data. So um, most of the cases, we rely on the data transmission from the rig that is, uh, uh, that is uh, established by... Um, uh, EDR or rig providers, but uh, for some cases, uh, I would say mostly for uh, outside of United States case, uh, cases, we do have our own uh, edge device that we put on the rig that actually collects all the data uh, on the rig and then transmits that data again to the cloud right. so everybody can use it. Is that all WITSML? Yeah, that's yeah. WITSML. So, okay, the transmission <laughs> part, WITSML is uh, as, as many things in our and actually many other industries is, is kind of antiquated protocol, but... Uh, standard. Uh, it's been there. And at least it's standardized. It, right? it works. Okay, yeah. it works. Yeah. That's, that's the most important. Uh, we, as far as the data transmission, we have our own uh, super compressed protocol because this is the bottleneck, the uh, data transmission right. part from the rig to, uh, to, the the, the, to the cloud, right? But once it, once it gets to the cloud, yes, it's right. XML. Okay. How do y'all... Uh, let me ask, because I know this is... a ever evolving kind of question in the kind of field IOT space, mm -hmm. but what are y'all mainly using for comms for those? Are y'all using satellite, cellular, or like Starlink? Have you messed with any of the, some of that stuff yet? We, when we put our own edge device, mm -hmm. we rely on uh, existing internet existing. connection gotcha. that, you know, typically rig yeah, operator is doing. We did uh, we did some experiments with uh, or maybe some mm, some tests with uh, things like Starlink. It's uh, it's it's an interesting technology. The biggest problem of Starlink is that it has to be always at the same place. It's right. by by contract, okay. so it's not really very well suitable right. for the moving for, devices, yeah, right? Yeah. So uh, uh, I don't know if anybody is using it for like rig operations maybe they are maybe they have some special special yeah. things i think i mean we're using it in the field but again i think it's more static site right mm -hmm. yeah um, or even like but there's a lot of like not even necessarily starling there's a lot of low orbit satellite right. stuff that people are doing now too but yeah, yeah but again it sounds like especially north america you've got internet connection on most of the rigs yeah, that you yeah. can utilize yeah, yeah. so it's always nice that someone mm -hmm. else can bring it and you don't have to worry about it yeah, yeah. yourself. And also generally, most of the places uh, these days, uh, very remote places, everybody has internet. I mean, yeah. it's cheap, uh, yeah. satellite internet is cheap. So luckily, the connection is not is not a big deal these days. Yeah. Well, yeah. Talk to us a little bit about kind of the, the architecture process and the thought process that y'all have gone through because, you know, so my, like I was saying earlier, you know, my background on the frac side, we have a ton of data. None of it is standardized, so at least you'll have that going for you on the on the drilling side. But we also have the same problems, right? You've got a ton of data. You've got real-time operations. It's expensive. People back in the office want to be able to see the data. But you also want to try and leverage as much of that data, both real-time and existing, to make on-the-fly decisions. And so kind of how did y'all kind of approach that? Because it's not 
it's not an easy thing when you're dealing with, you know, real-time data, data or connectivity intermittency, or the fact that it can just drop out. Um, you know, there's all those kind of nuances of the oil field um, that you have to think about. So kind of just take us through, you know, high level, how y'all went about kind of approaching that or mm -hmm. looking at some of those problems. So once we decided to switch, uh, so initially we developed Starsteer as a, as a desktop application. So that was uh, the yeah. logical thing to do okay. because again, you know, you switch from Excel to, I mean, you, yeah, you, don't, you, don't want, better, yeah. you don't want to go from horses to spaceship right away. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. You need, <laughs> you need a, you know, some intermediary point. So uh, we, uh, once we designed uh, uh, Starsteer, we started to think, okay, you know, obviously, I mean, everybody understood that, you know, for real time operations, uh, cloud is essential. What do we do about the cloud? And uh, um, as far as uh, uh, typical real-time data, which would be your survey data, it's a it's a trajectory of the well bore. So this is this gives you the location of the of the bed, and uh, uh, real-time uh, camera logs. So those two, uh, let's call it objects, are fairly small in size. So as far as architecture, I wouldn't say it's a, it's it's not a big deal, but it was fairly easy to to make it real-time because it's small amount of data. Yeah, it can be uh, downloaded from any location uh, with even very bad internet. And of course, you know, we enabled compression, so it, it made that data really small. When it got really interesting is, is when we decided to add some additional geoscience data. And geoscientists, they like huge data. Yeah, right. uh, not necessarily, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's huge in value sometimes, but definitely it's huge in, time, in, in, in volume. So uh, um, those would be uh, structure maps and uh, seismic data uh, and uh, um, uh, nearby wells. So, you know, sometimes, you know, think of like Eagle Ford Pyramid. I mean, there are like thousand wells mm -hmm. next yeah. to you, right? Yeah. And uh, you open a project as a geologist, uh, you would like to see uh, like a few hundreds of them. You would Just like to see your seismic data, you would like to see your grids. I mean, that entire project could easily be, you know, over a gigabyte in size. Mm -hmm. And we need to bring it to the user that is located somewhere in Permian Basin, right? With not very good internet <laughs> and it needs to be in real time and it needs to be fast. And the user, you know, geologist doesn't want to hear about, hey, your internet is limited. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's now yeah. I, I'm the provider of the solution. So now it's my problem, right. you know, yeah, uh, even though it's not my internet. So this is where we uh, develop um, a lot of, um, fairly sophisticated tools uh, on, uh, uh, on data compression and uh, on uh, uh, like buffering the data. So let's say you download the data once to your computer and then you go to the field and uh, it, it checks whether the data has been modified and if it's, it hasn't been modified, it won't download the data anymore. Okay. So uh, additionally, the hardest part for us was the uh, 3D seismic because believe it or not, some 3D seismic volumes could be as big as uh, you know 200 uh, gigabytes. Yeah, uh, and uh, that's that's onshore US. So this sure. is where you know the wells are being drilled, and of course, again, the users they would like to have the access to that data right away, and uh, you know even with like almost no internet, uh, you know. So uh, uh, they, we uh, luckily there is a very good uh, seismic compression technology available, uh, which we haven't developed. It's a company named Blueware out of Norway initially. They developed it, and they made it open source, and uh, we collaborated with them 
speaking of all successful collaborations, yeah. right? Hey, so did, did you have to pay a giant fee to be a part of a big group to collaborate with them? Or was it uh, just a native, hey, this makes a lot of sense and we should do this? No, they they just uh, they just uh, provided it to us, and uh, uh, it's it's an amazing technology. Uh, we build it uh, in, into into our solutions, and now, I mean, believe it or not, you know, even two hundred gigabyte uh, seismic data, you can uh, uh, view it in real time. You know, while while you know being on site, so it's it's it's, it's it's an amazing incredible. thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And it's one of those things, right? Innovation is is making something easier, right? It it was possible before, right? You can yeah. you could call your you know geophysicist and hey, send me a screenshot. Sure. But the innovation is hey, now I I can you know slice through there. my data, uh, located in the middle of nowhere. Uh, sorry to permanent guys, and uh, and uh, have access to the data in real time, right? Yeah, yeah. You can see it when you're on vacation on your, on oh, your Android oh, app, oh, right? Yeah, exactly. Or Apple. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that's maybe yeah. Because I was going to ask like if you if it start how it started. It always start cloud native, or mm-hmm. was that kind of the, the logical progression? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So I mean, so how how did you guys arrive on? I mean, AWS was basically was the main main mm-hmm. player at the time, and yeah, I'm, I'm assuming it's it's been a, been a good decision. Um, how? I mean, let's say even from when you started with AWS to now, have you has had to re-architect or have you kind of been able to carry on with the same kind of architect using the same tools? I mean, obviously, like, you know, Amazon RDS is different than it was, you know, eight years ago. I mean, depending on the different tools you're using, have you guys had to kind of pivot or has it just been changing as you've added new features? Uh, we, we changed a lot, but the logic we had from the very beginning was that we shouldn't rely on one single cloud data provider. Okay. So, um, and it's it's a fundamentally different development from what I've seen a lot in the industry is when you're, you heavily rely on specific uh, microservices mm-hmm. uh, provided only by one single cloud provider. Again, it's not it's not something is better, something is worse, but for sure for us, it takes much more development efforts right. because we are literally cloud agnostic. We can switch to okay. uh, Microsoft next day. Uh, but uh, uh, on on a flip side, uh, the good thing is uh, we see uh, uh, that many operators outside of the United States they prefer to have cloud internally. Again, right. uh, we can debate whether it's good or bad. Sure. Probably it's bad, but um, uh, that helps us a lot because being uh, cloud neutral, right. we can go ahead and install uh, the our solution completely. You know, okay. within within their system. So they have a private cloud then you can go put it on theirs and it just probably needs linux vms and whatever you know they they have everything internally uh and that internal part is not connected to outside internet mm-hmm. yeah. at all and there are a bunch of other requirements that you have to follow and um i don't want to speak for for others but i believe for those ones who build something you know purely based something based on azure or aws it's either impossible or will take years to to convert. It's a refactor. Yeah, yeah. You basically have to build it from the scratch. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys have been, you know, heavily focused on being diagnostic so you can be portable and you know, yes, yes. That yeah. that was from from day one. No, yes. I, mm-hmm. I mean I think that's a fantastic kind of tidbit piece of knowledge that anybody that's out there in the tech space currently or looking to develop something. If you have any intention of, I'll turn to the camera and be dramatic about it. But if you have any intention of selling software especially cloud-based software internationally this will be a very big thing um right because a lot of a lot of people don't realize this but a lot of the nocs and 
national oil companies have like data residency policies, right? Where the data physically cannot reside on a server outside of the country even, right? And so you have to have options to be able to install your software on their on-prem private cloud or you don't even get considered, right? And that's extremely serious. I mean, yeah. uh, you can be put in jail in those countries for trying to bring data outside of the country. And it has happened. Yeah. No, so, I had, a, I had a, a guy that I got my master's with who worked at Baker in mostly Latin America. And he uh, he told me one time he had to go. There was an offshore job, I think, in Brazil. Um, he had to go out to the rig, pick up the laptop, come back on shore, drive the laptop to the office, hand the laptop over to the operator, and then like wait in the lobby for four hours. And then they came back and had completely erased the entire laptop. Mm -hmm. And here you go. Right. Like it's a very real thing, you know. And so that's just again, I want to bring that up because in my past experience on the when I was doing edge stuff, that was a much bigger thing that I didn't even consider that pretty much every national oil company kind of has in place. So that's really interesting that y'all built it completely agnostic. It's really smart, actually. Yeah. I mean, and so one thing maybe to pivot. In a different direction of that, I mean, that's about keeping the data secure and that's extremely important, but you also have some other kind of integrations and um, kind of data sharing capabilities through your Roji cloud and everything. So, I mean, because one thing I want to get to get into is you also, you have a Python module where people can write Python within Starshare, right? Am I, is that correct? So, yeah, I mean, you talk about, true. you talk about that innovation and then ultimately I'd like to kind of maybe get into data sharing because I know you can share with snowflake and different people's clouds and Spotfire, which is a big deal for a lot of people so mm -hmm. no, but maybe we want to start because i always found that very interesting and i think john and i always talked because i know there's you know for some crypto stuff where he could write in his own little language you know in some of those crypto bots but like say like you geologists who know python can come into your platform and write their own functions and do their visualizations custom within your platform as well right that's actually actually a very good question because initially when we developed uh so yes, we have a bunch of interesting integrations and we started with basically, you know, having Python within Starsteer so a person can code. And when we, when we started it, I thought it's, it's pretty much feature for myself so I yeah. can enjoy coding Python while, you know, you know, on my long flights or whatever, but it picked up very well. So amazingly, uh, geologists uh, who are not coders by, you know, sure. by education, they, they picked it up. Uh, we see a lot of uh, Python coding in different companies in, uh, in my previous operator where we work together, uh, in many, many other companies, uh, they, sometimes they even have dedicated group of uh, people who code, uh, scripts, uh, under star steer. And it's always very interesting customization to your interesting script, mostly, uh, all related to the field of like data integration, uh, maybe sometimes data cleaning, uh, data, uh, data analytics, because they think about those projects, like thousands of wells, right? Sure. There's so much, you know, information you can get out of it. If you just analyze this data as a whole, not like well by well basis. Yeah. Right. So then we, uh, because, uh, we have our solution, uh, on the cloud. We uh, developed what is called uh, uh, Python SDK. So this is uh, uh, also Python, but it uh, allows any other uh, companies to uh, uh, pull and push uh, data from, um, from our cloud and to our cloud. And that was also very well adopted, but actually the group of people who are using it is slightly different. It's typically either 
uh, like true, da- not geologists anymore, like true data right. analysts within operators mm. or uh, uh, different service companies that would like to, say, pool uh, the data uh, and make the data available to direction drillers, make data okay. available for, you know, to completion engineers, uh, to whoever needs uh, uh, geoscience and, and drilling data in real time. Because... Uh, the uh, the beauty of our real-time cloud is that the data gets to our, our cloud first. So if yeah. they would like to get the data and uh, uh, it's uh, the easiest or, you know, the uh, the easiest ways is just to, to go to go to our cloud and it's always latest and greatest up to date with the interpretation available. Okay. So they can they can take either the raw data or the interpretation and they can use for whatever they want to. Okay. No, very cool. Um... And so I'm assuming like that Python SDK would be kind of originally how people were able to you know do ETL like pull data into their data warehouses or into their um, yeah, yeah. you know within their firewalls or whatever. Um, but I mean, but now is it is it I forget. Uh, I've seen some of your brochures, but you have like Roji Cloud or the different ways of like sharing because I mean HOR you can share it to SQL Server, you can share mm-hmm. it to Snowflake or BigQuery, you know whatever people are using. Is that through the Python SDK or do you all actually have native connectors and or that stuff as well. Uh, it's it's kind of through Python SDK, but it's developed internally. So basically, we have our internal um, uh, development called Solo Connect, which, Solo is, which is which is a small application that pulls the data out of uh, our cloud and stores it uh, into either SQL or Snowflake or whatever the database uh, operator prefers. And uh, yeah, the logic is 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 Bobby like you just described is. Now you have it all in SQL, in you know, in the, the way you prefer it to have, with you know, specific data, all claims, you know, interpretations, raw data, all together. So now we can put together our own dashboards, and of sure. course, you know, all operators they yeah, they sort of compete with each other for the uh, the the prize of the best dashboard yeah. uh, available. <laughs> and uh, they all develop their own dashboards. Uh, Sometimes uh, we uh, provide them some templates. Okay, guys, this is what you can do. And uh, we're constantly in communication with them. See, you know, maybe you'd like, you know, this specific functionality so we can, you know, add some more into those um, SQL, uh, SQL tables and sure. uh, you can you can pull more data or you can make it, you know, more, uh, uh, um, more attractive to your current operations, more useful because yeah, all dashboards are beautiful, but the question yeah. is which of those are useful, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Just like yeah. the whole models are <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, wrong, but some are useful. Yeah. But yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think looking at all those, whether it's like the original Python model to Python SDK, or you're obviously iterating on like dashboards or, you know, how people want to see the data in SQL, how does it help kind of shorten feedback loops for your software development? Or, I mean, have you gotten a lot of like ideas for the, you know, physical, the actual platform from, you know, seeing what people are using the data outside of it? And- absolutely, absolutely. We, we strongly believe in uh, constant communication with the users. Uh, uh, and uh, th- this is probably where users' feedback is so much more valuable than like managers' feedback, mm-hmm. right? Sure. Because uh, uh, the typical question that we try to ask users, please don't, don't talk about greatness of stars here. And if you want to, please go ahead. But yeah. the most important is please uh, uh, talk about your pain. Uh, tell us mm-hmm. what, what you dislike. Tell us what concerns you or maybe about some things that you would like to do that you cannot do at the moment and uh and show me uh as a separate question uh to what you just said show me you know uh maybe your dashboards or whatever you can show me Mm. uh 
so I can better understand your workflow and your challenges. Because uh, when when uh, we see uh, all of those different approaches and companies are still different. I mean, there is general workflow that everybody is doing, but as far as like truly innovative thing, right. everybody is doing their own thing. So show me what you're doing. And when you see uh, all of those things all, uh, all, all over the world, you can you can better understand what what users actually want, yeah. right? How, how you can make their life easier. Yeah, you see a certain pattern showing up multiple times. Right. You know, yeah. like, right, this is something we need to prioritize because yeah, exactly. there's definitely a demand for it. And mm -hmm. I was going to ask you what, because uh, we were talking about databases with the connector, what are, are you seeing more adoption of like Snowflake from MySQL or is there kind of a, is SQL still the kind of common database that people are SQL server into? into? SQL is by far the most common, but definitely users uh, or, um, they, they they tend to store more and more data. I mean, we, we all see that trend. It's more and more data, especially going into the uh, real-time drilling right. data. I mean, we're, you know, gigabytes per well of data. And now you want to do fast analytics based on like hundreds of those wells, Perfect. right? So we're talking about huge amount of data and uh, uh, ability to quickly process that huge amount of data. So I think this is, uh, we here we're going into even like NoSQL type of space uh, real-time databases and uh, it's it's something where the technology has been very quickly developed right. over the last you know few years because just SQL cannot do it anymore yeah. right so Snowflake is a good one I think many companies are uh, switching to Snowflake um, there are you know others no no SQL database I would say in this that are in a stage of experiment right now but I guess the good thing about us is even though we have a lot of data, we don't have as much data as many other industries, right, like sure. you know, automotive or just manufacturing or IoT. So there are databases that build for those guys. Yeah. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. We right. can just you know steal ideas from them. No, absolutely. Yeah, and I, and I guess those things too. Like that's what you're seeing on the operator side. But I mean, and as much as you're willing to talk like about your internal stack, I mean, I was curious. A, I mean, you're doing a lot with the Python SDK, and I think that's probably more because that's what people are you know, outside, you know, especially engineers and geologists are more familiar with Python, say that, you know, because half the other companies have C sharp SDKs and you need an actual developer to do that. Whereas maybe the Python, you can, you know, engineers and geologists can actually tap into that as well. But I mean, what are you guys using internally? And like, and are you using any, like you said, are there any like time series databases that you're using that have been, you know, you know, really helpful? I mean, just because I'm sure some people are trying to like, how do I tackle these kind of solution, these, these yeah. kind of issues. I was going to follow up. Part two to that question is, can you talk about, again, at as much length or, or not as, as you want, but about how y'all do handle, like just different, it could just be strategic. You don't even have to get into details, but strategically how you go about, you know, being able to handle hundreds of gigs of data with the real time component and needing action and models like y'all using serverless where you get spun up and spun down kind of piggybacking off of the database piece, but I'm curious on kind of how y'all, mm -hmm. your thoughts on that. So just to quickly start about Python, Python is a great language. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a coder by education. So the only language I can code is Python yeah. because it's simple and there are so many, I mean, mm -hmm. ChatGPT can code on Python yeah. and uh, pretty much over the last, maybe, you know, when it was released like six months ago, ChatGPT is coding for me. <laughs> so uh, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing. It's great. But, uh, uh, Python is pretty much useless for true software development, right? Yeah. Because when it comes to uh, heavy data or uh, like nice and uh, actually what any, I think any software company spends 90% of its time is interface and, mm -hmm. and backend. 
uh, I would say maybe even interfaces more than a backend. Yeah. So you need something fast, something reactive, uh, something you know uh, super easy to use. Mm, I mean, Python is useless there. Yeah. Uh, py Python is, is great for prototyping. Uh, so as far as uh, uh, um, uh, coding, uh, most of our front end uh, is done on C++, which is oh, by wow. far the you know the fastest and the most advanced uh, programming language. Okay, but and so that's for the desktop application. That's for the desktop okay. application. Yes, for for uh, web applications, uh, of course, we use JavaScript. I don't think there are any yeah, alternatives there. Backend, we use uh, Java, and we have a lot of. Uh, uh, other or maybe smaller. It's probably hard to find a programming language that we do not use right Fair now. For, uh, we uh, um, uh, we we use uh, you know a lot of them. Some really old ones, but for you know specific specific purposes, like maybe some heavy heavy math uh, calculations. Uh, uh, we use one language, and you know something else. We use a different language. Now. Uh, going into the uh, database space, uh, uh, as I said, there are many you know databases appear like literally every every day. <laughs> yeah, uh, and uh, all, you know, you know databases. Yeah. We tend to generally look at at what what's going on. Uh, specifically, uh, a couple of years ago, we started uh, uh, developing uh, applications for uh, real time drilling data analysis. And we investigated lots of different databases available. And again, the, the, the key is not to have like every hour update or every 30 minute update. We want it to be real time and analytics needs to be available yeah. real time. And uh, we use database called uh, ClickHouse. Okay. It's uh, fairly new, uh, but based on pretty much all performance. And it was developed, of course, not for oil and gas, right? It yeah. was developed for IoT. Uh, based on all the performance tests that uh, we've seen, and we repeated some of them, it's uh, by far the fastest one. Yeah, I've heard, and, it's, I've heard it's super fast. It's almost like comparable to say to Snowflake, but you can run it anywhere. Kind of. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, we tried it on real drilling date, of course, for, for that type of database. Drilling date is almost nothing. It's, you yeah. know, it's, uh, it's a small data set for them. And uh, it's, it's amazingly good. Yeah, so no, this, is, really this, cool. this is our, uh, for, for now, right? For now, it's our database yeah. of yeah. choice. Yeah, no, I mean, mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm imagining you're probably architecting that API way or whatever, like mm -hmm. to be like, somewhat agnostic to the you know the database. So if you need to rip out one database and plop in something better, you can kind of exactly do that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and again, sp speaking about deployment outside so uh, outside of uh, you know AWS and major cloud providers, very commonly there is a, a request from uh, operators that they would like uh, everything to be deployed on a specific database. Okay. Because because they like it. I mean, right. it's, yeah. it's usually not not a logical reason for that. But uh, so for 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 those, yeah, we, we're basically ready for those types those types gotcha. of scenarios. This is very important for us. Yeah. yeah, I mean, just one thing, just piquing my interest. I imagine have you all looked at like DuckDB recently, like very much or recently? I mean, I've just heard very good things. It's almost like SQLite, but for analytics and yeah, makes for some processing. So just curious if you've investigated it yet or not. I don't think so, but. Maybe something for us to take a look at. Yeah, that's yeah. no, interesting because mm -hmm. you can do it through Python or R too. Is but it's mm -hmm. like basically like what SQLite is, but it's columnar and you can it, you can chew through data super fast. Mm -hmm. but, mm -hmm. So I'm just curious if that's something you guys had evaluated yet. But um, okay. kind of my my chance to, to nerd out. So mm -hmm. <laughs> tell me because we've got we're gonna be wrapping up here in a second. I've got one. Normally we kind of ask before we get into this last part. You know, what's one thing you're excited about as far as the 
the energy space moving forward or what's some advice you would give? I'm very curious on how, obviously with my, my soiree into edge computing stuff, what is, how do you see edge kind of, um, where, where do you see edge today and how do you see it kind of in the future as far as its potential impact on oil field field operations specifically, because to me, that's where it has the most potential opportunity. Also the hardest thing to probably implement as well. Um, I think it's, it's a very good question and maybe a fairly long discussion on edge computer for oil and mm-hmm. gas. Um, uh, long story short, I think I can understand edge for uh, edge devices for a uh, manufacturing facility or maybe for, for, for a vessel that, you know, transports LNG right. and has no or very poor internet connection. I think for the modern, uh, and we all understand it's very expensive technology that is hard to deploy and takes a lot of time to deploy. I think for the modern drilling, with internet connection speeds that are getting better and better, right? And we are, again, we're drilling in heavily developed areas. So typically we're drilling somewhere where internet is, is cheap and, and good. Um, not that edge is not useful, but I think the, that component of calculation at, at the rig in order to reduce amount of the data that right. we're sending back to the office, uh, I think it's, it may not be that critical and that big. It will be some calculations and maybe data compression on right. the rig side, but then uh, the data will be sent to a cloud where the calculation is taking place, where we can integrate all possible data or nearby wells or you know whatever we have, and uh, the final outcome sent back to the rig. So I think this is where it's all going. Yeah. As far as um, automation, drilling optimization, right. you know, geosteering automation, this kind of is a hybrid yes. setup almost. Yes, I don't think it will be like those serious, serious uh, calculation taking place at the rigs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, that's interesting. I mean, perspective because I mean, I know there's other people are making the contention that now there is enough horsepower to run because now you can basically run clusters. Mm-hmm. You can have like a, say a cluster of IoT devices that you know are almost like your own mini cloud on location. So I know some people are some of people are thinking about it totally differently. But I mean, I, I tend to lean your way. But it's a matter of like, that's where you, I think it's because I think what we've heard say on the completion side, it's like where maybe you don't have a strong internet connection. If you lose connection to the cloud, then basically those people are in the dark for, you know, however long that, that connection's out. So I, I'm curious if you guys ever run into that very much, but, um, you know, it's just interesting to hear, but I mean, it sounds like you guys have a pretty strong connection most of the time. And then I think it's best to offload some of that to the cloud and then send it back and you can send it to everyone else internationally or yeah. nationally much more easily from the cloud as well. So, yeah, it's a, it's one of those pro- things to me that the benefits of it on paper sound really good. The execution of it is significantly harder, especially cause it's, I mean, it's still, I would call it fairly new, even though it's just on prem again, but it's distributed on prem in this instance, which makes it a lot more interesting. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's a, I don't know, right? Like the goal of all of this would be the rig steers itself, right? It's got, you dump all the data into the edge device. It's got all your surrounding wells, all the seismic, all that stuff. And it's just running its model and control, you know, mm-hmm. integrated directly with the uh, the PLCs and the control systems and the, the rig. And it just mm-hmm. does itself. I I think that's, uh, it's going to take us a long time to get to that spot purely just from if, the if uh, risk perspective, yeah. right? Like yeah, that's, no, we that's talk about the risk huge, a lot on here. Yeah. Just so. 
it's a, well, it's it's one of those things though, because it's a double edged sword, right? Like if you're trying to automate, you can't have it solely in the cloud because if you lose that connectivity and the rig it just stops, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then you can't also rely like it's a it's a tricky. You need that intervention, right? So, well, yeah, you also have to have reliability of that this model is going to work all yeah. of the time mm-hmm. without yeah. a human being being in front of it. So it's a no, it's a it's an interesting spot i was just curious like i said because there is a lot of the the promise of one of the big promises over the last you know five years with machine learning right is that hey it will use machine learning to make our operations better to automate things all this stuff and then of course with all new uh technology they go through that hype cycle of over promise under deliver and then everyone's really down Down on it and now we're kind of coming back up to realistic expectations and my favorite analogy here is uh, tesla uh, mm-hmm. autopilot yep. think about tesla four thousand data engineers and unlimited amount of data and by far data quality much much better than we have from downfall tools <laughs> yeah and uh still if you ever driven a tesla autopilot it's not great no uh it cannot drive by itself yeah and we will not, not be able to drive by itself probably in the next five years ten years for sure yeah i just want it mm. when i'm commuting to and from the office when i'm sitting in traffic so i can just mess on my phone and not have to worry about running into the person mm-hmm. in front of me. yeah like, those things are really nice yeah, yeah. well that and just when it literally gets a mind of its own i was reading last night there was a story about the u.s air force um did the simulations with an ai enabled like drone pilot thing and but it had a human telling it whether it could kill or not kill but like it was given its objective was to kill these things and but what it started to realize was that the human would tell it not to and it tried to attack the human Mm -hmm. or the base that was because it it interpreted that as a threat because it this was stopping me from doing my job from completing the mission Yeah. yeah yeah no that's the the i think the big thing people don't realize about any AI model is it's the the point one percent of outliers that you can't comprehend or conceive. Yeah, that take yeah. years, if not decades. Like uh, one of the Tesla stories, I remember. You know, and Tesla, like they've done a ton around Edge. They have their own in-house developed with I think Nvidia Edge device on or Edge computer on every single vehicle, right? Like. Microsoft, mm-hmm. you know, Ford and some of these guys aren't doing it. It is cloud based edge device, right? Yeah. Like the well, Tesla that's, car. That's yeah. the beauty of like yeah. that idea, too, right? Is like uh, federated learning potentially of, you know, having all these devices learning, learning locally, sending up and accelerating the learning of mm-hmm. the mother model or whatever. But, uh, you know, like there was one, it ran into like, a, I think it was just like a, bo- a white box truck because, like, and it showed the, the Tesla. AI okay. computer vision video of it. And it didn't recognize that it was a truck because it was just plain. The whole thing was white. Okay. Right. Okay. Like, and so like just little shit like that, like there's so many of those instances that if you yeah. don't train the model, it doesn't know. So yeah, and you take for granted what, what your brain, right. Just calculating just at every instant. Like you just don't realize all the inputs that are yeah. coming in that you, until you until it's not there and you're like, Oh wait, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. You know, right. like, yeah. Until it runs into a, another car. Right. Um, I've got a couple quick, we're going to, we kind of do at the end, uh, just, we call it like lightning round, just quick, quick answers and, or quick questions and answers. Um, and Bobby will ask you some, but I'll ask you some as well. What, uh, what kind of software app service have you used recently that you're like excited about that, that you've recently found that people may not know about or, or even may know about, but you're just really like the new tool or whatever. Uh, specifically for oil and gas, I think it's hard to say. It what, doesn't have to be oil and gas. Uh, it could be just tech or anything. 
I, I mean specifically about I mean specifically about tech. I'm I'm super excited about Tesla applications. Uh, I hate how it drives, uh, but uh, and I won't have one because of that. But as far as the software development, what they do, the true agile approach. I I was shocked. I haven't driven Tesla for for a while. But recently, I took it, and I'm I'm just the, the way they reinvented the wheel by by doing software application for a true hardware device. Mm-hmm. That's that's amazing. Yeah, that's a, no. That's again another underrated yes. <laughs> piece of tech, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what's one of your favorite books, either in general or about technology? Uh, I like I like to read uh, just books about uh, business business experience mm-hmm. uh, 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 just uh, sometimes historical books but mainly about mainly about business and uh, how I wouldn't I probably cannot say a specific one but uh, just uh, people people who build something big and sharing you know what kind of things they went through however you know we always need, need need to take into account that it's always a survivor survivor bias, right? Yeah, it, for sure. It's uh, whoever. <laughs> sure. What what I really like to read, I couldn't find that book. If maybe someone can recommend, I would be so happy to to read it. Is someone uh, writing a book about his or her failures? Sure. You know what what went wrong and why it went wrong. Yeah. So, so for some reason, people don't like to share that experience, and this is the most valuable experience. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm trying to. I mean. I've read a good bit of business book. I mean, it's still kind of more of a success story because it's, it's interesting Horowitz, but like the hard thing about hard things by Ben Horowitz, I think he's got, he talks about some of the ups and downs at least over the, right. over the time of kind of standing that up. But, um, but yeah, yeah, to your point, like most people aren't going to write the postmortem, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's why I really, you know, respect like Equinor when they did their postmortem with Price Waterhouse. Cause it was like, here's everything we did wrong on us shale. Like, you know, here yeah. was the price decks we used and here was all of our, you know, cause I, again, people can learn a lot from that. Yes. So. Yes. But it's very painful. And yeah. yeah, it's, you have to have a very specific culture to be able to publish that. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, what, what's your favorite cloud to work with? I mean, probably AWS. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be very, very specific here. Um, it's, it's good. They, they, they listen to, um, uh, they, they listen to you. They they do improvements. We see those improvements are happening. We have some services we were unhappy with. Uh, we we talk to them. They they accepted it. They you know didn't disregard the fact that it doesn't work very well. So they and they modified it and now it okay. works better. So yeah, I, I like I like working with them. Even though it's a big company, they they listen to you. Nice. Mm-hmm. What about what's your favorite open source yeah you know, tool or service? Maybe other than Blueware, I guess you guys have used that. Um, um, Blueware is is not open source, but oh, it's, okay. it's free, free so. of charge to use. So for, okay. for those who want to use data compression, uh, I would say generally open source. Uh, I mean everything that is coded on Python. I yeah. a bunch of those like uh, you know GitHub uh, Python repositories. Sometimes you just yeah. randomly find something that was built it solves your problem for for, yeah. for geology. And uh, do you have one that? comes to mind that you might uh share a library uh, or a repo? I, I like uh so there is one for uh anti-collision calculations called well ang okay uh well engineering uh, shortened uh i think it's just one uh i, I don't know human person but like one drilling engineer is a, in his free time he develops it and uh, he keeps updating it um uh, i just I, I just i just like it very much uh there are uh, other libraries. There is one for us. I actually use it a lot for seismic uh, uh, for seismic data that was developed by Equinor. Um, 
forgot the name, but I think it's only one seismic library for okay. within, within Python. Uh, there is one for Wellock visualization called Welly. I also use it uh, on Python. Uh, probably those are like cool. the most common ones for yeah, science. Yeah. No, yeah. that's mm -hmm. those are the kind of things we want to share mm -hmm. with that's our. Exactly what we want to mm -hmm. get out in, into the world. I mean, it's so crazy to me with Python, right? Because there's so many libraries for so many different things, and then you start getting into the oil and gas stuff, and it's like there's one. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. Well, thank God there's one, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. There many, might not many be any, right? Many thanks to those guys. Yeah. 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 I would say, like, Python's the second best language for anything, basically. Yeah. 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 No, I, and that's, I mean, that's, I love that about the energy community, too. Mm -hmm. We solve problems. And if we identify that there's not something there, someone at some point Someone's will probably out, come yeah. and find find a way to, mm -hmm. to build it. But um, I'm going to ask, what uh, what is, what's something you would, or a piece of advice or, Something you would tell somebody that's looking at kind of starting their own energy tech company that, you know, you've learned over the years that you would give to them. Um, I know that's a loaded question because yeah, yeah, there's a lot of answers to that. But that's not the short answer. <laughs> yeah. What's, what's kind of one big thing that, that you would advise, especially around this, you know, software side? Uh, I would say uh, the biggest advice is if you think that what you're building is absolutely amazing and exciting technology, make sure it's not only you who, who thinks so, yeah, but uh, uh, you actually uh, challenged your your technology with uh, with users. And uh, yes, it doesn't have to be 100% of approval rate uh, from you know your future user group, but maybe just interview you know 10, 10 separate people. And make sure that out of ten, at least two love it. Uh, those would be your first innovators. If nobody likes it out of ten, probably it won't fly. Yeah. Now that's a big. That's to me. Yeah. That's one of the hardest things of dev development in general is you never have like a hundred percent consensus on pretty much anything from your user base, mm -hmm. right? And so it's very hard to like prioritize and figure out, or like you might have an eighty percent consensus, but then there's the other twenty percent that get mad about yeah. it yeah. and it's just like well what do you want me to do yeah it's never gonna be good enough but you definitely have to like you said challenge your your thesis or i mean like, again or you, or you can spend too much time working on your baby and then mm -hmm. you put it Not on the market good. and everyone tells you your baby's ugly mm -hmm. um yeah like you said you just gotta kind of shorten those feedback loops and again maybe get it to a 10 people that you trust at least you <laughs> will break it to yeah. you nicely but yeah you gotta do that early so yeah yeah exactly exactly then pivot the direction that's a very typical problem with any startups you solve your own personal problem that you would like to solve, but maybe it's only yours problem. Nobody else yeah. cares about it, right? So t talk to people, uh, you know, make sure, you know, they have the same problem at least. Yeah, 100%. Uh, that's good advice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because a lot of people go and build and then try and find product market fit. Like, mm -hmm. Oh, that's not there. Yeah. And it's okay. I mean, generally saying uh, it's okay that people are not, uh, I mean, most of the, it's, it's only what, like five, 10% of innovators, like true innovators out there. Mm -hmm. It's okay that your technology will be liked by minority of the people yep. initially that's totally fine you know it will it will be picked up later on but that minority has has to has to exist right yeah yeah oh, talking crossing the chasm here like yeah. that's one of my favorite that's that's my answer to that book mm -hmm. question is crossing the chasm that's a great one you got one more bobby uh yeah let's finish um all right that's kind of easier one what's, what's your favorite video or board game um I played maybe too much, uh, probably boring answer. I played too much Monopoly with my son. Uh, 
Um, so uh, uh, that's that's we, we it's I think it's it's a good game. It's, I was going to say it's not yeah, boring. It's, 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 it's very strategic. It's, uh, yeah. It sounds simple, but there is a strategy behind yeah. it, and I figured it out much later than he figured it out. Yeah. So. <laughs> and how old's your son now? Uh, Ten. Ten. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Thank you for coming. I appreciate it. Thanks for yeah, having you're me. Great yeah. having you on. Yeah. Great, great conversation. Where can uh, where can people find you and, and learn more about Roji? Uh, definitely website roji.com, um, which is easy to remember. It's two co-founders named flipped. So uh, uh, we have we have our office like <laughs> five that. five. That's uh, that's our typical question. Can you guess what's what's the name? But um, we have our office. Uh, here in Houston, you know, five minutes drive from here and pretty much any place where people drill for oil, we have office or, or representatives. So we would be happy to talk to you to hear. Yeah. Tell us about the greatness of Star Steer, of course, but please tell us about your pain first. Tell us what you know bothers you. We would be happy to solve it. Awesome. Well, thank Beautiful. you so much. Thanks, everybody. Yep, thank you. We'll yes. wrap it up again. Go and uh, give us some reviews. Subscribe where, uh, where you get your podcast. We'll see you all next time. While some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. Goodbye.